Let's bow together in prayer again how important it is to come in a right manner to the table with our hearts prepared with a burden to see Christ, to remember the Savior. I pray now, I pray that God would help your heart, encourage your mind, and give you grace as you come together around the Word and then to receive the elements today. Let's all pray. Eternal God and Father, we would remember Thee, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yet, O oh Lord, we realize that at this table, we have that particular task of remembering the Son, the eternal Son, who took upon Himself our nature, that He might die in our room instead, rise again, ascend to Thy right hand, and even now make intercession for us. It is our responsibility to take and to eat, to take and to drink, to receive again by faith the blessings of the gospel, that we would take Christ as he's offered to us, that we would delight again in his person and in his work. O Lord God, today we look to thee. Grant us, O Lord, the help of thy Spirit. It is the work of the Spirit of God to testify of Christ. And so may the Spirit point our hearts and minds towards the Savior today and encourage our souls. May our fellowship together be sweet. May we know the joy of sharing this bread and sharing this cup, that remember, O Lord, that we are not on our own. We are part of the company of the saints, and not only here in, in Malvern, but across the globe, we are part of the church of the firstborn. O Lord God, we look to Thee for grace today. Forgive us our sins. We know that we are not worthy, O Lord, of the least of Thy benefits. And so for Christ's sake, encourage and strengthen us today. Pardon our iniquities, for they are great. Help us to honor the Savior in all we would say and all that we would do. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Now please take your Bibles again and turn to Isaiah chapter 53. And we're continuing our studies through this portion of God's Word in our communion seasons. Again, thinking about these verses a little by little. I'm going to read together again from the verse number 1. Who hath believed or report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Amen. May God be pleased to encourage our hearts again in the word uh, today. The last time we met together in this fashion around the table, we noted that the Lord's earthly healing ministry fulfilled aspects of Isaiah 53. 
Remember the time it's mentioned in Matthew chapter 8 that they uh, come to him who were possessed with devils and he cast out spirits with his word and he healed all that were sick. And as Matthew reflects upon Christ healing all that were sick, he then makes the comment that it was fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. That's a quotation of the Greek translation of verse number 4. Surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. That connects them with verse 5, and with his stripes we are healed. And we consider the fact that all sickness comes from the sin of Adam. And not necessarily personally, but sickness in this world comes due to the presence of sin in the world that came, of course, because of the sin of our first father. And then we consider how that Christ, as the second Adam, came to redeem his people from every effect of the fall. He came to undo all that Adam did and to do that which Adam failed to do. And so ultimately, Christ's work secures the release and the redemption from every effect of the fall, including human sickness and death. That, of course, awaits. Even now, those who are in Christ fall asleep. There are those who die through illness, though they die in Christ, and they go to be with Christ, which is far better. But the ultimate Benefit of the work of Christ comes when he returns and they enjoy in the glorious resurrection of the saints. So one day, finally, verse 5 will be revealed. It is certain with his stripes we are healed. Using that prophetic tense, indicating the certainty of that which will finally come to pass. But not only does Isaiah 53 not only is it used in Matthew in respect to with his stripes you're healed, it's also used over in 1 Peter chapter 2. Now, please, I'm going to put this up on the screen because I want to show you the parallels of these two portions. And you will see there in the middle of verse number 5 and the 6 of Isaiah 53, it says, With his stripes we are healed, and then all we like sheep have gone astray. Now, over in 1 Peter chapter 2, in the verse number 24, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Now, comparing these two references, again, is so very, very instructive to us regarding the nature of sin, and salvation and the work of the Savior. And I think the comparison of these two portions will be very helpful to today as we come around this table. I want to begin by considering the nature of sin. What, does, what do these verses tell us regarding sin and its nature? Again, the context here for Isaiah 53 is all about sin. The terms are, are multiplicated. They're there in verse number 4. Griefs sorrows, and then verse 5, transgressions, iniquities. All of these things are used. It's clearly a section dealing with sin and with iniquity. And the language used here gives us an insight into the nature of sin and how indeed sin comes to pass in our lives. Look at the terms. So you think again of iniquities or transgressions. Well, that's described in verse number 6 in a picture. All we like sheep. 
have gone astray. What is sin? It is going astray. How is that explained then? Well, you'll see again in verse number 6, we have turned everyone to his own way. It's emphasizing that when we go astray, uh, that direction we go is not in God's way, it's in our way, our own way. And that, I think, is also seen in terms of spiritual sickness. Verse 5 says, With his stripes we are healed, and then all we like sheep have gone astray. He's considering again what has happened in this healing. Well, the Lord has laid him the iniquity of us all. And so this, really, the, 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 the paralleling of these various terms, I think, gives us an insight into our hearts. We are sin-sick souls by nature. In our nature, we are blind to truth. We are deaf to the Word of God, and we are lame in our inability to walk with God and to walk in the ways of God. And so in all of these ways, we, we understand that we cannot walk in the path of righteousness. In fact, we could say we will not walk in the path of righteousness, but we go our own way. Now, when you look at verse number six, and you'll see again that phrase, everyone to his own way, you've got to see that in light of how that language is used over in chapter 55 of Isaiah. Turn across to chapter 55. Again, you'll know the verse very, very well. Verse 6, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And then verse number 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. So when we go in our own way, we are going away from the ways of God's. It's the nature of sin, due to our, our sin sickness. Again, please, I've said this so many times here, I want to say it again. I'm not suggesting that sin sickness means that we're not dead spiritually. These are different pictures used. At times we have death in sin, at other times we see sin in terms of sickness. Well, through that sickness we decide and we choose willfully to go our own way. You know, there's only one way to get to heaven. But we've all got our own way to go to hell. We all go our own direction of our own choice, our own volition. You may sin one way, I may sin another way. But by nature, we're all going to hell, though we may go very many different roads. We're walking away from the Lord. And so again, back in chapter 53, we see that in terms of going astray like sheep. Wandering from safety, from security, from the sustenance of the shepherd. You turn back quickly to uh, the Psalm 58. You'll see again similar language being used just to emphasize the point here. What is being described by the prophet here? Going astray, going her own way. He's describing the nature of sin. This is not human weakness. It's not human freedom in the, in the sense of you can do what you like. Rather, it's describing the human depravity that will always go away from God. And so you've got Psalm 58 in the verse number 3. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. Can you see the words that are used here? They go astray. 
as soon as they be born. It's just, it's emphasizing that the nature of sin is in the very nature of humanity from the very time of birth. The sin nature's there. It doesn't need to be placed there. It's there already. And through that sin nature, there's a going of our own way. And that's illustrated in this verse in terms of speaking lies. Again, a violation of the commandments of God. Sin. Sin is going astray. Sin is within us in our birth. And by nature and by practice, we go astray and we go in our own ways. There's a verse in Ezekiel chapter 44 describing the the Levites and the people of God. And it says this, Israel went astray from me after their idols. They shall even bear their iniquity. Astray, idolatry, iniquity. Of course, every iniquity has at its core idolatry. So this is describing the nature of mankind. It is describing particularly the fact that even the elect have this nature. Remember the reference here. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. We'll say more of that next month. But the whole passage is about those who have been saved by God's grace. He will justify many. The passage about the salvation of those for whom he prays. And so it's a reminder to you today, though you come to the table, though you believe by God's grace you've been elect from the foundations of the world, though you know your testimony to be sure and certain, remember from whence you came. You went astray. You went your own way. And yet God so loved the world. You come to a table prepared for sinners. You cannot come to this table unless you're a sinner. If you're not a sinner, don't come to this table. Now, you know what I mean by that. Christ came not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Those who are conscious and aware that they've gone astray from their mother's womb. See, what we should appreciate to think of this whole situation is that when we're astray, we're in spiritual danger. We're in the wilderness spiritually. We're devoid of nourishment and the danger that confronts us in this world, the end which all whereof is death. How do we know this? Well, because of 1 Peter chapter 2, where as Peter reflects upon this, we've gone astray, but we're now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of our souls. The shepherd to nourish and to feed. The bishop, the overseer, to protect and to guide. Without the shepherd and without the bishop, we are vulnerable spiritually, and the end is death. But by God's grace, we have returned. Which leads to the second thing, which is a narrative of salvation. And if we think of the nature of sin, what is this narrative of salvation? Well, it's your story. If you're a child of God today, this is your story. Because while we go our own way, the story of salvation is the same for all of us. Different features, different particulars, There are some variations, but in essence, we all share share the same testimony of God's saving grace. Again, if we take the time to note these parallel terms, again, this is very, very instructive. Think about your testimony today. Uh, What about how you came to know the Lord? 
Again, please remember, if you have no testimony, you shouldn't be taking the elements of this table. If you cannot explain how you've come to know and love the Lord, then please refrain from these elements. This is the Lord's table for the Lord's people. Now, your testimony will vary, but you're about to partake of elements that are provided for God's people, elements that must be received by faith. Now, a word of caution here, if you're saved very young, you may not be quite so aware of all of this. Your ability to remember and your consciousness of all of this may not be as clear as some who were saved perhaps in their teenage or 20s or even 30s or beyond. But this story is still the same for all, even those who perhaps were saved when they're very, very young. You see, even the very young for a season choose to go their own way. Because of their sin nature, they go their own way. That was true for all of us. And again, our own way may have involved some particular sins. But for all of us, there was the absence of true worship. For a season, we go in our own way, and we do not acknowledge the living God to be the one true and living God. And we do not live by faith in the Lord. When we go our own way for a season, we, we all did. And then by the gospel, we come to see Christ. We hear the gospel preached. The, the Spirit of God opens our eyes, unstops our ears, heals our sick feet. And suddenly we find ourselves trusting in Christ and turning from sin to Him. These things occur together. You're saved. You're converted. You may be not quite sure how it all fits together in terms of your, your history and the timeline, but there was a time when you turned from your sin and you ran to Christ. Peter described it this way. But are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. He's not suggesting these are people who were saved, then lost, and then returned He's thinking here of humanity as a whole in terms of those who in Adam's sin turned away from God. As in Adam, all die. As in Adam, all sin. As in Adam, all turn from God. Whereby that anybody created in God's image, when they come to faith in God, they can be described as returning to God. They return to the Lord as an image bearer of God. That turning is, again, by Peter, described in terms of a leaving. He talks about being dead to sin and living under righteousness, verse 24. This is, again, the nature of true Christianity. You return to Christ. You leave off your sin. That's a testimony. That's a narrative. That's a story of your salvation. You see, being saved encompasses all of these things. Regeneration, dying to sin and living to righteousness, that's the rebirth. Sin no longer has dominion over you, you're, you're set free. You're now a living testimony of righteousness, not perfection, but true righteousness. Romans 6, you died with Christ and you rose to newness of life. Repentance, that's the returning. Regeneration. Repentance is returning, and faith because you return to Jesus. This is spiritual healing. Are you healed today? With your 
crumbly joints and your failing memory and your troublesome guts and all of these things. You've all of this, you bring them to the house of God and yet you can say, by God's grace, I've been healed, oh praise the Lord. You're no longer sin sick. You're now a newborn creature and you can say, my great physician heals the sick. The lost he came to save, for me his precious blood he shed, for me his life he gave. You have a testimony of spiritual healing. By his stripes you are healed. Which leads to the last thing, and that is the necessity of the Savior. Do you think again of the, the nature of sin, yes, and the narrative of salvation? You see implied in this the necessity of the Savior. And here please note the parallels closely. Isaiah 53, verse 6. We have gone astray, we have turned to your own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, Peter, he quotes the first part, we are a sheep going astray, but he then says, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. But note how he begins verse 24 who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin. What's all this about? What is Peter doing with Isaiah 53? Why is he not just quoting it directly? Well, because he's using the language of the Scripture to make his point theologically that the only reason you as a wayward sheep turned to Christ is because of Christ's work upon the cross. No cross, no conversion. The work of the Spirit depends upon the work of the Son on the cross. Everything is related in the work of redemption. We cannot cut and paste God's plan of redemption. It all comes as a unified whole. And the very fact that we return to Christ at one point in the narrative of our salvation is because at one point in human history, Jesus died for my sins. They all come together. Peter is showing us that the basis of the sinner's return is the work of Christ. The basis for our healing is the work of Christ. He took our sins to the tree. The work of Christ is the foundation and the guarantee of the regeneration, repentance, and faith of all of God's elect. The work of Christ has guaranteed your salvation. Our union with Christ in his death is the guarantee of spiritual health and vitality. You live today under righteousness, don't you? Again, please don't let the devil come alongside and say, but this sin, but this sin, but this sin, but this sin. If you're a child of God, you know in your heart that ultimately you do indeed live under righteousness. If you don't, you have a problem. The general tenor of your life is under righteousness. You have a burden and a longing to live and to walk with God. You trust in Christ. The Lord's my shepherd. The Lord's my bishop, my overseer. And you delight in these things. Well, the fact that those things are true is because of the cross. Think of the two descriptions. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
and in 1 Peter, who his own self bared our sins in his own body on the tree. Now, we'll come back to this next month. But what a blessed truth it is when these things are brought together. The Lord hath laid on him our sins, and he took our sins. It comes together so beautifully. The Father bruising the Son, and the Son gladly taking our sins that he would be bruised to the Father. The Trinitarian joy in redemption. The love of our Lord, our willing Redeemer, healer, shepherd, friend, and bishop. I trust today you're glad you're saved, that you're glad you're healed. Well, if you're here today and you're glad you're a Christian, you're glad you're saved, don't forget that this cross is the only reason whereby you've come to know the Lord. So praise and worship today. From your heart, take the elements of thanksgiving, rejoice and be glad in so great salvation. May the Lord bless our worship today for his name's sake. Let's sing before we come to the table. Hymn number 412, I just quoted a verse uh, from this hymn regarding our great physician. Now let's stand together and sing 412, my faith has found a resting place and not in device or creed.